let me pick up where we left off. And gosh, again, let me say thank you to uh, Matt and, and Phil. You guys did a beautiful job. I've listened to it twice, both times, and you, you, you did phenomenal. And uh, music guys, you did a great job as well. Uh, just thank you for carrying on the last two weeks. So this is kind of weird. We're in 1 Peter chapter 3, and <clears throat> I did 1 Peter 1 in December, and then uh, 1 Peter 2 in January, and now here we are in February, and I'm just getting to like chapter 3. So let me remind you of what's going on. Peter is obviously the one that wrote this book. Don't get it confused with Paul, who did all the missionary journeys and traveled all over Galatia and everything else and got those churches started. This is Peter, who pretty much his ministry, even though he was the first one to reach a Gentile for Jesus, he was the first one, his real ministry was to the Jews, to go back to the Jews and teach them that Jesus is the Messiah, the Savior, the one that they've been waiting for and looking for all these hundreds of years. And so he was really focused on the Jews, which still kind of were clinging to the law. Still clinging to the law. Paul's like, no, we're not under the law anymore. You're under Christ. But Peter still got some of that in him, and you might even see it today. But let me remind you where we are. He's received word that the churches in the Northwest Asia are under attack, and they're suffering this just massive oppression from the Roman government that's like coming in and, and the Greek philosophy that's taking over and the Jews that are coming in and saying you need to be under the law, you need to be circumcised. All those things are happening and Peter's trying to remind them, hey, you're under a new covenant now. You're under a new covenant and there's, there's new ways to live. So we get to that one part where he says, be holy as Jesus is holy and... I remind you what we said there is it's not about your behavior. It's not about your behavior. It's about you knowing your identity in Christ. And if you know your identity in Christ, then you just be. And if you just be, your behavior will line up with who you naturally are, that you're a new creation, that you're holy, that you're righteous, that you're redeemed, that you're forgiven, that you're a child of God. You begin to believe that. You begin to act out of that. And it's a natural thing. Just as if you're born with a sinful nature, it's natural for you to sin. No one teaches babies how to sin. No one teaches kids how to sin. No one teaches adults how to It's just a natural thing if the sinful nature is who you are. I'll remind you, Christ was crucified and he died and I was crucified with him based upon Galatians 2.20. So something in me died. What died? Well, my sinful nature died. I don't have a sinful nature. I'm a new creation. I'm redeemed. I'm forgiven. He's put a new heart in me. And I'm learning, even today, I'm learning how to live out of that new heart. And this is all that he's doing. Now, I get to this chapter 3, and I go, oh, Lord, this is the, <laughs> this is the chapter. Wives, submit to husbands. <laughs> Lord, bless this message today. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Let's just get into it. In the same way, wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands so that even if some disobey the word, they may be won over without a word by the way their wives live 
when they observe your pure, reverent lives. All right, let, let me explain something. If, well, first of all, I'll say this. I didn't write this. <laughs> Peter wrote this. And I believe that it's true. I believe that it is inerrant, inerrant, without error. I believe that God directed Peter in his personal writing of this letter. So I believe this letter. It was not written to me. It was not written to you. It was written to these churches in Galatia. But I receive it for me. And I'm able to take what Peter wrote to these churches and what was happening in the context of his writing this letter, and I can adapt it to my own life. You with me? I didn't write this. But here's the context. When a man married a woman, it was typically the woman who adopted the faith and the religion of the man. In those days, the woman adopted the faith. In those days, there was a lot of Greek philosophy that was going on. And so when it came to sharing the gospel that Jesus was the Savior and the Messiah, it was typically the women who responded first in salvation. And so the majority of these churches that are gathering in Galatia, it was mainly the women. Even today in the church, even today in the church, churches are 60% women and 40% men. It's not that way in this room. And I thank the Lord for that, that we have strong, godly men, strong, godly women in this room. And there is a healthy, healthy balance in here. But in those days, the women were seen as the faith leaders when it came to the Christian faith, when it came to following Jesus, when it came to following the way, the way. And so when he's literally writing this, He's writing to the ladies and saying, hey, you need to submit to your husbands because it says, even if some disobey the word, those that aren't believers in Jesus Christ, then maybe your faith, maybe what you understand about being a Christian will cause them to see things differently. Now you go back, it says, it says in the same way, if you go back in the same way, it says, what's he referring to? He's referring to chapter 2 when he literally just told us to submit to our authorities, the government. Remember a few weeks ago we talked about that, submitting to government authorities. It also talked about uh, submitting to your employers. This whole idea of submission in today's world is just absurd, that we can't submit to anybody. But if the truth be known... If that doesn't happen, then we have chaos in this world. It is literally being sown right now that we, are, we don't have to submit to one another. That we are our own person. We can do our own things. We can think like we want to think. We can just do whatever we want. That's what's being taught today. So in a world that we're living in, this message just sounds absurd. But if you don't have authority, you have chaos. And God understands that even when he created the family first, the family before government, the family before leadership. It was literally the family, and he put an order to the family. 
that doesn't make a woman inferior to a man. It's just order. That's all it is. Now, I can speak only about my relationship with my wife who's sitting here critiquing every word that I'm saying. <laughs> she probably has a whole different message. <laughs> but I will say this, is that we are one. We are co-heirs. We try to think alike, and we do a pretty good job. But she is submissive to me in authority because she chooses to be. I'm not better than her. I, I, we're, we're the same. Now watch this. I submit to her. I submit to my wife. Trust me. <laughs> I submit to my wife. Yes, we have wooden floors now. <laughs> clomp, clomp, clomp. <laughs> he, he's literally saying, you come to serve the leaders. And if a wife would serve the husband, then all of a sudden they would observe your pure, reverent lives. And when that happens, when that happens, there's a respect that occurs. Men, men are all about respect. Women are all about love, but men are all about respect. And when a woman submits to a man, which isn't a bad thing because a man submits to a woman, one is done out of love and one is seen as respect. Because we're created differently. I don't care what the world says. We're created differently. My, my things that I enjoy are totally different than what my wife enjoys. And yeah, I've got women that, you know, can probably relate to me and my mindset, and I get it. But in general, I'm telling you, we're different. And a submissive attitude impacts a man in a positive way. If they're believers then they'll feel respected and they'll be encouraged and it will cause them to love their wife. I believe that. It says, oh, here we go. Don't let your beauty consist of outward things like elaborate hairstyles and wearing gold jewelry or fine clothes, but rather what is inside the heart, the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. Now, everybody interprets that. Oh, we can't, like, dress up and... No, he didn't say that. He didn't say that at all. He's just saying, you may think on the outside that this is where the beauty is, but I'm telling you it's on the inside. It's about the heart. Look, beauty fades. Trust me. I'm 60. It's fading. <laughs> I get it. And it's going to go away, the outward appearance. And that is, he's, like, he's not saying that you can't wear fine jewelry or you can't look adorable or anything like that. He's not saying that. He's like just saying the most important thing is the spirit that's on the inside. It, that's what's worthy. He's not forbidding anything here. He's just in comparison. And that beauty that's on the inside, it never ceases. I'm going to a funeral tomorrow of a 96-year-old woman who looked 96, 
But she was the most beautiful person that I ever met. Because she prayed for me constantly. Olivet Dickerson was a lady that I just had a special relationship with. And it was because of her heart. It was her heart that was just like, there was beauty on the inside. Beauty on the inside. And so Peter's really saying to the woman, I want you to find your worth, not on that which is visible to man, but what is not visible, what is seen for a long time to come, even after you're dead and in the grave. There's something that's important there. And that's not to say you can't look good, you can't, you, you, you go look good, you do those things. But your heart's what matters. Verse 5, for in the past, the holy women who put their hope in God also adorned themselves in this way, submitting to their own husbands, just as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. Literally in the Old Testament, obviously we're going back to Abraham and Sarah, Peter is referring to them because Abraham and Sarah were, were well respected. And Sarah, when she talked about Abraham, she called him Lord. I don't anticipate Michelle's going to call me Lord anytime soon. But if you, if you translate Lord, what Lord actually means, it means to be the boss. To be the Lord of your life. To tell you what to do to instruct you like Jesus is my Lord and he better be your Lord not me not anybody else but it better be Jesus and so literally Sarah is calling Abraham Lord and when he's talking about what was adorned what was worn in the Old Testament in the Jewish they saw submission as a as a, a piece of clothing like she wore submission she submitted to her husband. And it was a great relationship. This, the clothing of submission is a perfect fit for children of God. That would be me included. I submit. I submit. I not only submit to my wife, but I submit to my authorities. The fear that women can carry this type of lifestyle kind of is based upon them not wanting to be a doormat. Trust me, Olivet Dickerson was not a doormat. She was strong in her faith. But Peter's clear. Women are co-heirs with their husband. Watch this. You have become her children, saying you've become her children, Sarah's children, you have become her children when you do what is good and do not fear any intimidation. Husbands, in the same way, live with your wives in an understanding way. Oh, I'm trying. <laughs> I, I'm going to spend the rest of my life trying to understand how to love my wife. She, she understands loves in a whole different level than I do. I, I watch her with my kids. I watch her with her friends. I watch her with her family. I watched her with her mom this last week. She understands love in a whole different way than I do. And I'm going to spend the rest of my life live with your wives in an understanding way, trying to figure out how to love my wife better. Oh, and then it says this, as with a weaker partner, 
Don't mess this up. Husbands, in the same way, live with your wives in an understanding way, as with a weaker partner. He's not calling the wife weak. He's comparing if you lived with a weaker partner, and he's not talking about emotionally, spiritually, physically, because, I mean, he is talking about physically, emotionally, spiritually, and all those other things, because in many ways the women are much stronger than men in those areas. But when it comes to the physical side of things, that's what he's talking about, how you protect your wife. Now, I get it, I get it. If I was to put Michelle Hernandez up here with me and we did CrossFit, she'd crush me. <laughs> but if, there, if there's a bad guy coming through the door right now, they're going to have to come through me to get to Michelle, and then she'll crush him. <laughs> because let's just admit it. Men are physically stronger than women. That's the way God created us. And so when he's talking about this as a weaker partner, he's not talking about all the other aspects, but literally the physical part of it. Protect, protect the women. Protect them. Showing them honor as co-heirs of the grace of life. We're together. We're together. I'm not better than Michelle. She's not inferior to me. She's not. Trust me. So that your prayers will not be hindered. Okay. So now we get to this part about your prayers being hindered. This is a, just a practical statement for couples who are, are not treating one another well. If you're not treating one another well, it's hard to pray together. It's just it. And so he's, he's literally saying, you guys need to be on the same page. As, as a man and a woman in a relationship, you have different responsibilities and you have different needs. My needs are totally different than Michelle's needs. And I will say this in marriage counseling all the time. If we want to be one flesh... It happens through Jesus Christ. That's the first thing. Jesus makes us one flesh just as he makes us one body in Christ. That's the one flesh. But if I want to have a true husband-wife relationship, then I'm going to have to meet the needs of my wife. And she, she's going to become dependent upon me to meet her needs. And in the same way, she's going to meet my needs. And I'm going to become dependent upon her meeting my needs. If I'm meeting my own needs and she's meeting her own needs, we're living two individual lives. How do you become one flesh? I study my wife. Figure her out. How do I meet her needs? What's it going to take? She does the same thing. And then we're able to like pray together. It doesn't hinder the prayers. Let's move on. Verse 8, it says, Finally, all of you, all of you, the church, all of you, not just men, not just women, but all of you be like-minded and sympathetic, love one another, and be compassionate and humble. He's literally talking about the whole church. If Christians are going to have a mutual respect and love for one another, regardless of gender, 
it is going to communicate to this world. It's going to communicate to this community. The only thing, Ron, that I did was come in here and love people that week. And I know that there's people in here on this staff that they've got all, all sorts of ideas and philosophies and thoughts and issues and stuff like that. But if you just come in here and love on them, <laughs> uh, Jose's sister, was it Maria? Maria. I spoke with Maria on Monday. And just, I had to speak, with her, speak to her with a translator. And the translator, I actually heard her say the name of Jesus, and I'm like, oh, game on. <laughs> and so through that conversation, I was talking about the thoughts because she literally thought she had killed her brother, her brother who was on the other side of the grease barrel. She, my brother, my brother, my brother, my brother. Three or four days later, she's, she can't sleep. And to be able to lay hands on Maria and pray over her, that everything is good, that God loves her, everybody's healthy, Pinheads is supporting her, and to watch her feel a release. And then you, you come in like two days later, I walked into the kitchen, you probably don't know this, but I walked in the kitchen just to find her. And uh, what's the translator's name? Her, it was her. Uh, Sandra. <laughs> Sandra saw me come in and all of a sudden she's like, Pastor, 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 Pastor. And I mean, she made everybody get up from scrubbing the floors and do everything and hug me and everything else. And it was like, I had all this group of pinheads just around me hugging me. And it's like, I had this feeling that was like, oh my. And all I was was compassionate just showed compassion, just told them about Jesus. Just love on them. And the community sees that, and they respond to that. And so that's all, that's all Peter's trying to say to the, be sympathetic to people, no matter what their situations are. I'm not responsible for what they choose to do. I'm not, I'm, it's, I'm just here to be humble, compassionate, and to love one another says in verse 9, not paying back evil for evil or insult for insult, but on the contrary, giving a blessing. <laughs> Since you were called for this so that you may inherit a blessing. We're not supposed to fight back against our opponents. Uh, you're not going to see me slandering anybody on Facebook. I'm not doing it. I'm not slandering government authorities. I'm not doing it. It's not my calling. It's not who I am. I'm supposed to show them compassion so they can know the blessings in Christ. And when we do that, obviously, I received an incredible blessing. It's just natural. And then he begins to quote the Old Testament, For the one who wants to love life and to see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. You know, the mouth determines the health of our relationships. What we say. Our words have the ability to soothe and to edify people or to cause them harm. That tongue. They can tell truth or they can tell lies. The tongue can. Truth 
however, will always edify no matter how difficult it is. Speaking truth will reflect our new natures in Christ. He says, and let him turn away from evil and do what is good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. We're literally supposed to seek out edifying relationships with one another and with the world. I, I have a limited amount of time in my life, but in my week and in my day. And I will much rather hang out with people who are going to talk about Jesus and edify one another than something that speaks out of negativity. I don't have time for that. Verse 12, it says, Because the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer, but the face of the Lord is against those who do what is evil. God's not like in a swivel chair, you know, going back and forth. He literally has his eyes on, on all of us. God's eyes are on the eyes of his children. He watches over us. And his ears are always attentive. Like, I, I can say, I'm, I'm praying for someone, and I can without verbally praying because he knows my thoughts. The evil one doesn't. The evil one doesn't know my thoughts, but God knows my thoughts. says in verse 13, Who then will harm you if you are devoted to what is good? <laughs> but even if you should suffer for righteousness, you are blessed. You're going to get harmed. You're going to suffer because of your beliefs. Jesus did. Do I need to go any further? Do not fear them or be intimidated, but in your hearts regard Christ the Lord as holy. You don't make Christ the Lord he is Lord. When we receive Christ as a, a Savior, we also receive Him as Lord. He becomes the boss of our lives. I have this Holy Spirit inside of me that directs me and guides me. I don't need Ten Commandments to tell me how to live my life. I don't need anybody else to tell me how to live my life. I have a holy living God inside of me that instructs me and teaches me. And I obey, which means basically I listen to Him. And then this, ready at any time to give a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. On the cruise, on Sunday night, we were in rough waters and the ship was getting tossed about, not like Gilligan's Island, but... <laughs> it was rough, and as Mercy Me finished their concert, uh, they pulled me in the back and said, hey, it looks like we're not going to make our port tomorrow. We need to do another hour of uh, programming which is not on the schedule because we'll give our people something to do and they're looking at me <laughs> and I'm like okay I'm already teaching three times now I'm gonna teach a fourth time and so Drew and I the magician he's gonna open up and I'm gonna close uh, we got together and we said let's do this this and this and be prepared we were prepared Monday, and we didn't go to port. And Drew and I got up on stage, and we were able to talk about Jesus. He's like, be ready at all times. Now, you're, I'm not saying that you're going to be put on a stage in front of 1,200 people, but my goodness, you could be sitting across from the restaurant table from somebody that literally is like needing to hear about Jesus. And you need to be able to talk about the goodness of God and how he's made you righteous even in the midst of your chaos, in the midst of your own storm, you need to speak about his righteousness. Be prepared to talk about the goodness of God. 
He says, yet do this with gentleness and reverence. Not standing on a street corner condemning people for what their behavior is. Yet do this with gentleness and reverence, keeping a clear conscience, so that when you are accused, those who disparage your good conduct in Christ will be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. For Christ also suffered for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring you to God. So literally, you can't be responsible for what, how the word is received. I'm not responsible for what the other person hears. I'm not responsible for the way the other person responds and behaves. All I know is that I'm supposed to be ready to talk about the goodness of God, and I do it. And there's a lot of times when I get rejected. There's a lot of times where I'm, I'm not buying what he's selling. And you know what he told the disciples? He's like, dust your feet off and move on. Dust your feet off and move on. I'm not here to like win souls. That's his responsibility. I'll talk about the goodness and you know, the faithfulness of God and how great he is and everything else, and it's his responsibility to save souls. I'll lead them. I'll lead them to Jesus every opportunity that I can. But but here it is. Here's the good news. For Christ also suffered, suffered for sins once, <laughs> once for all. He died one time for Christ. How many times do we have to say that in here? He died one time for all of our sins, past, present, and future. You weren't around. He took care of all your sins before you were even on the face of this earth. Everything you've done, everything you're doing, everything you're going to do, he died one time. And his blood was sufficient for your sins. Don't think that you've done anything greater than the blood of Jesus Christ. He died once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous. Jesus was righteous, and he died for us, the unrighteous, and he made us righteous, that he may bring you to God. I don't have to go to a temple. I don't have to go to a church. I don't have to have anybody in between me. I'm literally with God right now because he's in me. And he's literally... Peter is encouraging Christians to suffer for adhering to this reality. He's telling them, you're going to suffer from this if you do this. If you just be, if you talk about the goodness, it's going to happen. It says, he was put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit. Christ died, and he rose again. That's simple. Now we get to the most difficult part of this passage. It says, in which he also went and made proclamation to the spirits in prison. We believe that he actually went to, uh, get into this whole thing, he went down to Hades. Hades would be the underworld after he was crucified on the cross for three days, and he made a proclamation. He stood on one side, and he spoke to those on the other side and said, I'm the one that you were waiting for, and you totally missed it. I'm the one that was going to, I am the Savior that you heard about but you didn't respond to he made a proclamation to those who were actually in hell hades is the underworld two sides to it he's on one side and he speaks to them in hell which is a temporary place which holds all those non-believers and he says right here he says he made a proclamation to the spirits in prison who in the past were disobedient they didn't believe in the messiah when God patiently waited in the days of Noah while in the ark was being prepared, 
What? He's going back to Noah? Yes, because Noah was one of the most respected patriarchs of the, of the time of the Jews. It says, in, a, in it, a few, that is, that is eight people, were saved through water. Why is he going back to, to Noah? Because it was one of the worst times on the face of this earth. Like, you know how you're computer like messes up when you hit the reset button <laughs> it's kind of what god was doing he hit the the reset button let's 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 start this thing over yet there were eight people who were faithful and it was those eight people that he saved on noah's ark and so he's literally talking about one of the worst times on the face of the earth and these people are probably in hell because of their behavior and they didn't believe in the messiah to come says, don't get confused here, baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you. Oh, it's not baptism that saves you from salvation. Watch this. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you. He says, not as the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of good conscience towards God. He's going back to having, letting you know that you can have a good conscience. It's the baptism, it's the baptism of being born into Christ that clears your conscience. It's not the water baptism that saves you. It's not, because we can go back and look through all 66 books and know Abraham believed and it was credited in righteousness. We just believe. We just believe that Jesus is the Son of God and that's what saves us and that's what salvation comes from. Baptism, the water baptism which cleanses the dirt, cleanses us, is just a way of saying, I've put my old life to death, and now I have a new life in Christ. And you tell the church that. You tell your family that. You proclaim that to the public. And it's what we believe is one of the things that we should do because God told, or Jesus told us to. Go and be baptized. So we still baptize. But literally, he's talking about having a clear conscience here. And the last verse, it says, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers subject to him. Christ right now is seated at the right hand of God because of his salvation work is done. He's brought salvation to us. It is finished. It's over. Like all the priests in the temple, they were always buzzing around, making sacrifices, pouring blood out, and all this other thing. They never sat down. Jesus poured out his blood one time, and he went to heaven, and he sat down because it's over. I took care of the sin issue that you guys are dealing with on the face of the earth one time. It's over. It's finished. It's over. You're forgiven. Get past your sin issue and just do this. Just be. Just, just be holy. Just understand who you are. Just live out of that. Live out of the forgiveness that God has provided for us. There's, this means there's no longer a sacrifice that's needed for our sin. He's done it. He's the high priest. Now, watch this. If Christ is seated at the right hand of God, I'm going to freak you out here right here. If Christ is seated at the right hand of God, and Christ is in me, and I'm in Christ, where am I? Mm. I'm here, but I'm there. My mama's not waiting for me. I'm there. 
I'm, I'm doing this. I'm doing this. Death is a part of this world. There's no question about it. But because of what he did, we have life forever. It doesn't get any better than that. God, I, I thank you for Peter's word. I thank you for uh, how complicated he made it. <laughs> but it's truth. I believe it's true. And I thank you for creating us man and woman. But making us one in flesh through Christ Jesus. You redeemed us. And we have much to be thankful for. Lord, thank you for pinheads. Thank you for all that they've done for us. Just watch over them and protect them and keep them safe. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.